hope, hope. Uh, one theologian said, hope, uh, what oxygen is to the lungs, hope is to life. In other words, you have to have it. It's, it's crucial and it's essential. We're in Matthew chapter 2 this morning as we continue our, our four-part series. I'm uh, going to conclude, actually, at the candlelight service on the 24th on hope for the holidays. Remember last Sunday morning, we defined biblical hope. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. I hope I lose weight. I hope I get what I want for Christmas. Uh, I hope that person will ask me out. Hope, biblically, is that confident expectation of, of what you are desiring will happen. Hope, biblically, is not wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation that it is going to happen, Okay. As we think about that, I want us to begin with this. At times, we don't know what to do in life. At times, we are faced with situations. We are faced with people. We are faced with problems that we honestly just do not have uh, a a solution or an understanding. We don't know what the next step is. Matthew chapter 2 is the story of the wise men. And we're going to begin in verse 1 and 2. And it says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We, we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Now, we don't know a lot about these guys. Traditionally, you know, you've heard people say, well, there was three. And in the early service today, we sang a beautiful old hymn, We Three Kings of Orient Are. I have no idea what Orient Are is, and they probably weren't three. We came up with three because there was three gifts, the gold, incense, and myrrh. Uh, they probably weren't kings. Again, it's a pretty song, but, but who were these guys? Well, they were probably scientists. Almost certainly they were astronomers. And some people believe they were from a priestly caste. In other words, they were, they were godly leaders. We don't know where they're from. The word uh, magi is a Persian word. So it's possibly they were from Persia. The Bible just says from the east or maybe Arabia or Babylonia. We don't know exactly uh, who they were or, or exactly where they came from. But we know, we know what the mission they were on. Now, here's another interesting tidbit, and we'll see more of this later. The wise men did not come to the barn at the manger like your manger seen at home. Uh, in fact, they probably came anywhere from 40 days to a year later. Now, it always begs, I always hear this every question, that the question is asked me, then why do we have the wise men at the manger scene, and why do, in the Christmas pageants, do you have the wise men coming in with the shepherds. Well, it's simply because T-I-M-E. If you really wanted to do it right at home, you got at the fireplace, you have a manger scene with baby Jesus, Joseph, the little, the, the, the cattle, and the, you know, they're bleeping or lowing or whatever, and, uh, and the sheep are there, and then there's the shepherds. You would have the wise men down the hallway. Uh, now, that's kind of creepy, though, you know, when you get up at night and you trip over a wise man as you're going to the restroom or whatever. But they should be, you know, a long way away. Uh, and, and Christmas pageants, you really can't have, like in December, a Christmas pageant with the shepherds come. And then, like in two months later, in the middle of a service, the wise men come walking in. That's how it would have to be. So, but that, that doesn't mess the story up at all. We don't know who these guys are, but we know that they are scientists. They're godly. 
they probably knew their Old Testament well enough that they knew they saw this star and they knew something supernatural was happening and it pointed them to Israel and it pointed them to Jerusalem and they get there after traveling probably over a thousand miles. Do you get that? Over a thousand miles. Now that's not like, you know, they took the, the jet, they took, jumped on the plane. I mean, that's camels, that's walking, that's tough, that's hard, that's desert, that's sand. They take this long trip to find this newborn king, and they get there, and now they don't know what to do. They don't know where he is. And again, you, you, cannot, you cannot properly see these stories by, well, I know the rest of the story, so I know what happens. Put yourself in their shoes. Uh, later on, we'll see this. In verse 10, it says, when they saw the star again, they were overjoyed. In other words, they were stymied after all they had done. And now they don't know what to do. Here's the truth in life. If you're not here this morning, you may be here this time tomorrow. We come up against situations where we don't know what the next step is. We don't know what to do. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you're, you're away from God, you're wandering in your relationship with God... I'm not kicking you because I've certainly been there before. But, but you're not going to know what to do. You're going to feel like you're in a, a stage of wandering because you are. If you're not a Christian this morning, you are, you are not in a relationship with Christ. You can remedy that this morning, but you are in a place literally of wandering in your soul. Here's the frustrating thing. is Sometimes we can really be trying to live for God. We can, we can be following God the best we can with all of our heart, and we still find ourselves not knowing what to do in a given situation. What, what's your situation this morning? Maybe... Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a dating relationship. Maybe it's a job or a career move. Maybe it's with your kids. You've tried everything and nothing seems to work. Maybe it's with your parents, your adult older parents, and you don't know what to do. Maybe it's with your finances today. You just don't know what to do. What is the next and the right step to take? And you know what? If you, if you live in that land of wandering or, or spinning your wheels too long, you start to lose hope, don't you? You start to lose hope. Several years ago, the University of Michigan did a national survey in our country. They asked Americans, this was in the 1990s, they asked Americans, how many of you feel hopeful for the future? 70% said they felt hopeful. Ten years later, in the 2000s, they, they asked the same survey. How many of you feel hopeful for the future? 20% said they felt hopeful for the future. I wonder this morning, if it's today in your life, or again, whether it'll be a month from now, that you're going to come up against a situation, or plural situations, where you just don't know what to do. Okay, this is going to sound strange, but let me give you the second thought. Do what you can do. You said, preacher, you just said we don't know what to do. You're going to know what to do after I share this with you. But you know these things anyway. I'm just going to reveal what many of you know. Here's number one. Don't quit. Quit on sin. Quit on wrong. Quit on being out of God's will. Absolutely. 
But when you, when you start on the right path and you're trying to do the right things, the devil wants you to take your hand off the ball. He wants you to take your hand off the Lord. And he wants you to throw in the towel and quit. Here's what I want to encourage you. Don't quit on what's right. Don't quit on God. Don't quit on your family. Don't quit on yourself. These guys had traveled over a thousand miles. They may not realize it, but they are five miles from the goal. They are so close. I wonder how many times, listen, I could tell you some stories in my life, but I'm sure some of you who are older can too. When you quit, when the truth was you were fixing to win in, in, a, in a day or two or in a week or two. And what the devil wants you to do is he wants you to throw in the towel on what's good and what's right, and he wants you to quit. I want to read to you a sad story. This came out last year in the New York Times. It was about suicide. And it said, suicide rates among middle-aged Americans has risen sharply in the last decade. From 1999 to 2010, the suicide rate among Americans aged 35 to 64, I'm 34, so I'm right under that. It wasn't supposed to be funny. Uh, rose by nearly 30%. More Americans die each year, 38,000 plus, from suicide than from car accidents, about 33,000. The most pronounced increase of suicides in our country is among men in their 50s, where suicide has jumped by nearly 50% in the last decade. Dr. Julie Phillips, a psychologist and a researcher at Rutgers University, said here's the primary reason. There's a lot of reasons. Suicide's not an easy thing. It's a terrible thing, and you can't always put some little formula together to say this is why it happens. But here's a, here's a, a broad picture that I think is pretty accurate. She said that when we have failed expectations and we lose hope, we lose hope, that's when a lot of people quit ultimately and take their life. I want to again say this to you this morning. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of info, but I, I would say that some of the wise men, this is probably a pretty good group of people, size-wise, were discouraged. And some of you are discouraged. And you look at your wife or your husband, and you go, I just don't know if I can continue to do this. Or you look at your kids or your parents and go, I don't know if I can continue to do this. Our school's not going very well. Our work's not going very well. Or your finances are not going very well. Let me encourage you, when you're on the right path, dig your feet in and don't quit. That's the first thing you, that you can do. Here's number two. Seek help from other people. Seek help from other people. This is going to be a new revelation for many of you, but do you know, we know there was actually wise women among the wise men. Did y'all know that? Women, you've known that for years. How do we know that there was wise women? Because when they didn't know where to go, they stopped and asked for directions. Doesn't that mean there had to be some chicks among the group? I mean, the men would still be in Jerusalem 2,000 years later and go, well, we'll figure it out at some point. Look what they did in verse, verse 2 through 6. 
as simple as this is, but yet profound, they ask, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Who is this group of people that the wise men ask? King Herod is called Herod the Great. One Bible scholar called him Herod the Great Pervert. He ruled for four decades. And he did some magnificent things. He helped the Jewish people rebuild the temple. But he was a bad person. He killed one of his wives. He was married at least nine times. One of his wives, he... He offed with her head. He killed a mother-in-law, and yes, that was illegal then, just like it still is today, men. Three of his own children, when they came to age, you know what he did? His own sons, he killed them because they were threats to the throne. This is a bad, bad person. It says, Herod called together the people's chief priests. Now, this was plural. There's only one chief priest, so what that probably meant is he called the current chief priest and his predecessors, the ones that were before him, and it says he called the scribes, the teachers of the law. These were probably Levites, and these were guys who their job was was they copied the Old Testament. That's If you wanted a copy of the Bible back then, someone had to handwrite it. They copied it. They, taught, they were experts in the Scripture, And it says, listen, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. They quote an Old Testament passage, Micah 5, 2. They said, Bethlehem in Judah. Now, here's something that's very interesting. There was actually two Bethlehems in this day and age in Israel. Israel in Jesus' day was divided in two areas, Galilee uh, and and Judea. Jesus grew up in a little town called Nazareth, the northern part of Palestine, in Galilee. A little bit north of there was a Bethlehem. That was not the Bethlehem of this story. The Bethlehem of this story is in Judea, a little bit south of Jerusalem. We have a a map. I don't have my pointer on me. But you see where Jerusalem is? It's It's in dark print toward the bottom. You see Judea there. And then Bethlehem is about five to five, six miles there, uh, south, southwest of Jerusalem. So the, the, the Bible scholars tell them that's where it is. So isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that God uses a perverted, wicked king to give them good advice or to help them? And he uses these Bible scholars who honestly are apathetic. They, they, as far as we know, they make no effort to go five miles to see the newborn king of kings. But they knew where he was. So here's, here's part of the thing I want to communicate to you, folks. God can use anybody to help you. In the Old Testament, in fact, God used a donkey to communicate truths to a guy named Balaam. You remember that story? Look it up when you get home. It's very unusual. Today, if your donkey talks to you, we get you medicine. And we try to get you in a nice, quiet place. But that really happened uh, in the Old Testament. Now, I don't, don't seek out idiots for advice. But when you find yourself in a jam, find people who love God and who love you and get advice from, why are you suffering by yourself? 
Why, why are you not leaning into people who love you and, and can help you? Why are you not letting other people who have wisdom and experience help you? When you don't know what to do, ask other people for their help. Here's the third thing. Seek and keep seeking God. In this story, there is no question that the wise man, from the beginning of the journey, when they saw the star... For over a thousand miles, that's a journey of many months back then on camel or foot or walking. When they get to Jerusalem, they, they, get, they get advice from people who know what to do. But there's no question that they were praying and seeking God for, their, their, for help. Here's what a lot of us do. We're in a bind. We have a situation that's overwhelming. And we don't know what to do, so we pray about it. And then two days later, nothing changes, and we say, God's not hearing me, so we quit. Isn't that, isn't that what we do? Tragic story. Many, many years ago, I remember a man who was going through a terrible thing in his marriage, and he came to me, and he said, I prayed about this yesterday, and nothing's happened. I guess the man upstairs isn't going to help me. Learn these two verses I'm fixing to share with you. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Say, ask, and it will be given. Now, the tense of these verbs really reads, keep asking. Keep seeking, and you will find. Not Keep knocking, and the door will be open. Verse 8, for everyone who keeps asking receives. He who keeps seeking finds. And to him who keeps knocking, the door will be open. I don't understand how this works. Go home and read Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 18. Jesus teaches that we should always pray and not give up. Some of us are in a bad spot, and we'll pray for a little while, and then we quit. Many years ago, I had a situation that was bad, and it just didn't look like it was going to be resolved without there being a lot of collateral damage. And so... In a church service where I was preaching, can you believe God actually sometimes speaks to the preacher? Uh, he spoke to me, and, 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 and I think it was during the invitation time. And he reminded me of those verses, and he said, you've got to keep seeking me about this. You can't quit. And I kept praying, and I kept praying, and I kept praying. And, and, and in a relatively, you know, within several months, it was amazing God took care of that situation. Seek God and keep seeking God. And let me tell you this. With all my heart, I believe this. With all my heart, I know it's true. If you will not quit, you get godly counsel and help, and you keep seeking God, there is hope for your situation. There is hope for your situations, plural. No matter what it is, no matter what you're facing, there's nothing that God and you can't make it through. There's nothing that God can't open the door or get you around or get you through if you will follow him. There's no question about that. Now, let me give you this thought. and the right time, God will show you the way. I want God to show me the way right now, don't you? Some of you who are in a dilemma right now, wouldn't it be nice when you walked out of here this morning, you were like, aha, I know exactly what to do. Unfortunately, God doesn't always work on my time or your time, but at the right time, he will show you the way. I don't know if, if uh, I know some of you get our devotional thought. It's called e-thoughts. 
How many of you get the ethos every week? They're free. Uh, you, you can get them. Uh, go to our website. It'll show you how to get them. Many of the people in our church write. Andrea Phillips wrote a great one this week, and it was on God's timing at Christmas and how everything seemed out of whack, didn't it, Andre? I mean, nothing seemed right or the timing wasn't right. But God is never wrong. Amen? God's timing is not your timing or my timing. God's timing is His timing, and it's the perfect timing. God's going... God, listen, God will bring you through that situation. He'll make that situation right if we'll keep doing right. Verse 9 through 11. After they heard King Herod, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, if you don't think they were, didn't know what to do, look in verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed because they had been stymied. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their, their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. How awesome was that? You notice they came to the house, not the barn. He was, a, he was a child, which meant he wasn't a newborn. He was still an infant. But what an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. If you don't need a large dose of hope this morning, you will soon. And, and no matter what your situation is, if you'll anchor yourself to Christ at the right time in the right way, God will show you the way. Let me, let me give you three things he may show you about your situations. Number one, he may say, bloom where you're planted. Don't you hate that? You know, you heard your mama say, when life gives you lemons, what do you do? Make, make lemon, throw them at cars as they're coming by, mama, right? You know, as much as, as it, and often as I want God to bail me out, Sometimes God wants me just to settle down and make it happen where I am. I, I want to share with you a story. And I want, please listen closely to this. Because I, I, th I think this will rattle you. It'll make a point. There was a women conference, a woman's conference. There was about 500 women at this conference. Men, speaking from experience, have something to do that day. You don't need to be near the woman's, women's conference. Amen, men. Okay, 500 women, most of them were gathered around the front. And toward the back of the church, a lady sat by herself. They could see that she was teary-eyed. Her head was down most of the time. Finally, one of the leaders of the conference went back to her and sat down by her and, and began to try to talk to her. She said, tell me your story. The lady said, well, I'm a mother of three. My oldest son suffers from muscular dystrophy. He has been confined to a wheelchair Almost all of his 17 years. He really can't do much by himself at all, including going to the bathroom or taking care of basic needs. My other two children have a variety of learning and emotional challenges. With her head still bent, she whispered and said, I'm married to a mean and hateful man who makes my life miserable. He won't help me with our son at all. I buried my father this week. And after the funeral, I learned that my father had disinherited me from the will because he hated my husband. Then she said something that still haunts me to this day. She said, I came this weekend 
to this conference with one prayer. I ask God to kill my husband. I pray, Lord, I need a way out. I feel like a bird in a cage. The lady said she then lifted her eyes and she looked at me and she said, when I prayed that prayer, God spoke to me as clear as anything I've ever sensed in my life. And he said, even a bird in a cage sings. And she said to the counselor, what do I do with that? She said, if God says sing, you find your voice and sing. Bloom where you're planted is certainly not a, a thing you want to hear. But sometimes the, the way out of your situation is to try to make something great in your situation. Here's the second thing. God may say sit tight for a while. That's not good either. We, can't, we cannot overestimate how long the wise men may have been in Jerusalem. Folks, they didn't have cell phones. They weren't calling Jerusalem ahead of time. Hey, King Herod, Big H, whatever they called him, can we, ca- can we have a powwow with you? They, they were texting on Facebook, wise men approaching Jerusalem, you know, clear the way. Uh, They weren't tweeting. They weren't calling. In fact, they weren't doing anything. They were riding camels. So when they got there, it it, it undoubtedly took time for them to be able to get an audience with Herod. And then when Herod got ready to bring the Jewish leaders in there, it wasn't like he tweeted or he texted or he emailed. That would have taken time. Who knows how long they may have been in Jerusalem. It may have been days or may have been weeks. God's plan was not for them to sit there and rot, but it was to hold the fort down for a while. Nobody likes to wait. You, you want to go to the doctor tomorrow, and as soon as you check in and say your name, you want them to say, oh, come on right back. We've been waiting for you, right? Or you get on your, your email today. You want to be able to connect with Moscow, Russia right now, correct? And if, you don't, if your Internet doesn't pick it up within two seconds, then you're mad at your Internet service. That's not life. Sometimes God says, sit and wait for a while. But let me tell you this last thing. God will tell you how to move forward in time. God will tell you how to move forward in time. One thing that happened with the wise men, guys, listen, the wise men, they got to a point they didn't know what to do next. God wasn't going to have them bloom where they were planted, but they had to sit tight for a while. But then God showed them when and how and where to move forward. Here's what you can hold on to this morning. Here's something you can tangibly get your hands on and, and, and hold on to. If you will stay under Jesus Christ, no matter what you are facing, there is hope for you. There is no person in the world more important this morning to God than you are. Is that not great? There is no person in the world more important to God than you are. God has not forgotten you today. Your job is to make sure you are in a right relationship with him and you stay close to him and you stay under him because it is conditional hope and that the condition is being under Christ and when you stay under Christ God will always get you where you're supposed to be amen no matter what you're facing there's hope if you will do what's right let's pray Christians, 
Will you be who you should be so God can do what he wants to do in your situation? Choice is yours. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you're ready today to make that decision, would you pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I, I want to repent of my sins. I accept that you're God's son and that you died for me, Jesus. And I believe that you came back to life for me. And Jesus, this morning, I give you my life. And by faith, I ask you to come into my heart. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a moment. And I'm going to ask you when we stand to embrace the hope. You've got to respond. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand this morning, would you come and and give your life to Christ? Would you settle that with Jesus? Maybe you're here and, and you're looking for a church to join. You need a church home. You need the love and the wisdom of a church family. One way you can join us when we stand. You come. You can join us this morning. Christian today, maybe where you're standing or maybe at the altar, you want to come and and kneel down or pray with a minister and let us pray with you to embrace the hope God has for you. God's thrown out a life preserver to us, but we got to reach out and take it. Will you take it now? Let's stand. And as we sing,